Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am discussing the case of Nanette Krentel. Nanette's case is extremely tragic and odd. Despite living in her home on 100 acres that she deemed a fortress due to her extensive security measures, in 2017, her house was burned to the ground with Nanette inside of it. This puzzled investigators and her family. Her husband of 22 years was the local fire chief. Nanette knew what to do in case of a fire, but upon further inspection, it appears that this retired preschool teacher had more enemies than they initially realized. Nanette's case was brought to my attention by Uncovered.com. This episode is not sponsored by them. I just wanted to acknowledge good people doing good things. And I always try to give credit to the people who suggest these cases to me. If you haven't heard of Uncovered.com, the website features a variety of unsolved cases. Each case has its own page with a ton of information, like timelines, pictures, relevant people in the case, and my favorite, how to help. Their philosophy is that together we can make a difference, and I couldn't agree more. I was contacted by their founders who were looking for some help promoting specific unsolved cases. When they told me about Nanette's case, I was blown away. I knew I wanted to help share her story in hopes that maybe someone knows something that can help law enforcement finally find the person that killed her. This is the case of Nanette Krentel. Nanette Krentel was born Nanette Watson on July 26, 1967 in New Orleans, Louisiana. She grew up in Metairie and stayed in Louisiana all of her life. Nanette had a big, blended family with four sisters, Kim, Amy, Wendy, and Lisa, as well as a brother named Chad. She attended Chappelle High School where she would meet her best friend, Lori Rando. I found numerous interviews where Lori just gushes about Nanette, but I love this particular quote. If you knew her, you loved her. She was extremely friendly and outgoing, and she made you feel like you were, you know, a good, close friend. And no matter how long it was that you knew her for, whether it was for five minutes or five years. End quote. Outside of her passion for teaching preschool, Nanette loved animals, art, baking, and shooting her guns. 
I also found countless quotes about Nanette's very distinct and hilarious laugh. On her Legacy.com page, I found a ton of very kind comments about her. But one story that really stuck out to me came from a woman who was the victim of a hit and run. She posted on the site saying that instead of just driving away like so many people did, Nanette actually stopped to help her and spent the entire afternoon with her, even driving her and her dog to her vet to make sure that everyone was okay. This woman says that although Nanette was a stranger, she felt like she'd known her all of her life, just like Lori said. Nanette spent many years as a preschool teacher, but by the year of her murder in 2017, she was retired. However, her husband of 22 years, Steve Crintel, continued to work as the fire chief of St. Tammany Fire District 12. This is a position he held for about a year. Nanette and Steve lived together with their two cats, Baby Kitty and Smokey, and Nanette's treasured chihuahua, Harley, that went everywhere with her. They lived in a 3,000-square-foot home on 100 acres of wooded land in Lancome, Louisiana. The houses were pretty far apart in this area, with the closest neighbor being about a tenth of a mile away. Steve's cousin also lived in a house on the property, but their houses were so far apart from each other that you wouldn't be able to see one house from the other. So it still was kind of like having another distant neighbor. It's important to note that Steve and Nanette's house is often described as a fortress of sorts. Their house was at the end of a dead-end road, and to get to the road that led directly to their property, you had to get through a big metal gate equipped with security cameras. Steve installed this system as well as other cameras throughout their home for a total of nine cameras throughout the property. The couple also owned a total of 30 guns. So between how secluded the home was, the gate, the cameras, and the guns, it really did seem like their home was a fortress. Unfortunately, all of these precautions ultimately wouldn't be able to prevent Nanette's death on Friday, July 14th, 2017. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Before I get into the timeline of that day, I want to preface it by saying that Nanette's family is skeptical of this timeline, and I will definitely be discussing why later in the episode. But according to Steve, that morning Nanette packed his lunch and he was out the door by 7.45. After this, some believe that Nanette went to McDonald's to grab breakfast for herself, returning home at 9.11am. At 10.03 a.m., Nanette's cell phone records show that she made an outgoing call to Kmart to refill a prescription. 
In my research, I wasn't able to find if Nanette actually spoke to someone at Kmart or if she used an automated system to refill her prescription. At 1.30pm, an outgoing call is made from Nanette's phone to a woman who says that it must have been a misdial, because she didn't know Nanette or her husband, Steve. At approximately 2.30pm, a child riding their bike notices smoke coming from the Crentel home and calls 911. Fire personnel from several districts respond to the call, including Nanette's husband, Steve, who arrives on the scene about 13 minutes after he got the call. Unfortunately, by the time that the fire was put out, the house was pretty much burned to the ground. I've seen many pictures of this scene, and there's just not much left other than ash and rubble. There's no walls, there's barely a floor. It looks to me like it pretty much burned down to the concrete slab but pretty quickly, Nanette's body was found in the rubble. She was lying face up in the master bedroom, with her beloved Chihuahua Harley by her side. Nanette's body was burned beyond recognition. At 6.43pm, Steve made the call to Nanette's father Dan to tell him that his daughter was dead. Her family was in shock. How could this happen? Nanette was a very smart woman and the wife of a fire chief. Surely, she knew how to get out of a burning house. Nanette's sister Kim, who was actually a criminal prosecutor, said that she knew immediately that someone killed her sister. The fire marshal was called in that day to figure out how and where the fire started. He was pretty tight-lipped at first, but eventually told the media that he was able to confirm that the fire was started intentionally. At this point, you're probably thinking, okay, well, they have these nine cameras. What do they show? Well, you guys, it appears that the day before the fire, Steve Crentel noticed that the cameras at the gate had been deactivated, but he didn't take the time to fix them. So those were completely off. As for the other cameras, well, investigators would later discover that accelerant had been used in the master bedroom near Nanette, and also in the living room, right where the DVR for the cameras was housed. Ultimately, no footage from the house was recovered. When Nanette's sister Kim and Kim's boyfriend, who was a volunteer firefighter, arrived at the scene three days later on the 17th, they were shocked to find out that the crime scene had supposedly been processed. But there were still huge piles of ash and debris left behind that appeared to be untouched. At this point, her family knew that something was very, very wrong. They just couldn't figure out exactly what. While the family is waiting for answers from the autopsy and from the sheriff's investigation, they plan and hold Nanette's funeral on the following Friday, July 21st. Before walking into the service, Nanette's cousin happened to see a news article about a huge development in Nanette's case. Up to this point, one of the leading theories was that Nanette died in the fire while trying to save her animals. But this theory was shattered when this cousin sees the article saying that the autopsy results came back and that Nanette didn't die from the fire. She died from a gunshot wound to the head. Now, I can't imagine, one, finding this out through the media instead of law enforcement, and two, finding this out right before the funeral. Although Sheriff of Tammany Parish Randy Smith did later apologize for not notifying the family first, I have to say that this is absolutely unacceptable. This would unfortunately only be the first of many odd actions from Sheriff Smith that would break down this trust between him and Nanette's family. Later that night, after the funeral, Steve called Nanette's brother Chad, 
and he let him know that after seeing the autopsy results, the sheriff's office was leaning towards ruling Nanette's death a suicide. When Nanette's sister called the sheriff's office to say that she would bet her only child that Nanette didn't kill herself, an officer told her that women shoot themselves all the time. They also shoot their children and their husbands and sometimes their pets. It was at this point that Nanette's family retained legal counsel. So let's take a moment and talk about this autopsy that led the sheriff's office to tell Steve that they thought it was a suicide. The initial autopsy was done the morning after Nanette's death by St. Tammany Parish Coroner Charles Preston. Unfortunately, Nanette's remains were too burned to be able to tell if she had been sexually assaulted. During the autopsy, Charles Preston determined that there was no soot or even microscopic particles of soot in Nanette's airway. Her body also didn't blister in response to the fire. Both of these findings led him to the conclusion that Nanette was dead before the fire was started, saying that if she even took two breaths while in the fire, he'd see some type of soot particles in her airway. He, of course, also found that she'd been shot near her right temple with a small caliber gun. No exit wound was identified. He also noted that because there was no large presence of blood near Nanette's body, that it's likely that she was killed off-site and moved to the master bathroom after the fact. The manner of death was ruled a homicide, with the cause of death being a gunshot wound to the head. These were the findings that led Sheriff Randy Smith to believe that this was a suicide. These were the findings that apparently led five high-ranking officers to plead their case to the coroner that this was a suicide. Fed up, Nanette's family hired Dr. Thomas Bennett to perform an independent autopsy of Nanette's remains. Dr. Bennett had performed over 12,000 forensic autopsies throughout his career. Although he wasn't able to physically touch Nanette's remains, he did have access to a variety of pictures, samples, tests performed from the initial autopsy, and photos of the crime scene. He came up with the same conclusion. This was a homicide and he was also disturbed by the lack of blood at the scene, stating, quote, A gunshot wound to the head would bleed copiously. You would find a large area around this on the floor with debris falling around, fires tend to burn up. So any of that blood would be down there on the floor around her would still be present. End quote. Later, a third autopsy was performed. This was done at the Forensic Anthropology and Computer Enhancement Services Lab at Louisiana State University and they came to the same conclusion. It was a homicide. In addition to the family hiring professionals to help in getting answers for Nanette, so did her husband, Steve. Steve hired his own arson investigator, as well as someone to take drone footage of the scene before and after the police searched it. Steve hasn't shared the arson investigation findings with the public, but he states that he did hand it over to law enforcement. However, he did publicly share pictures from the drone footage. At the end of July, Steve's drone footage showed these piles of ash and rubble left at the scene, just like I mentioned earlier. The only semi-clean-looking area was around Nanette's body. You can clearly see the tile floor, but no visible blood. We know from the yogurt shop murders that arson homicide investigations are some of the hardest cases to work, because evidence is literally washed away but we also know that not everything would be washed away. Like Dr. Bennett mentioned, that includes blood. This first search of the scene appeared to be pretty sloppy. 
not only had law enforcement actually left one of their own AR-style guns at the scene, they'd missed some pretty important things. In their second search on August 13th, investigators discovered the bodies of the two cats, as well as the handgun that Nanette kept in her purse. They would ultimately find a few guns at the scene, but none of them could definitively be linked to Nanette's murder. After the second search, Steve had the drone fly back over the scene. And the difference is night and day. The picture after the second search shows the scene completely cleaned up. I will post these photos on VoicesForJusticePodcast.com so you can see for yourself, but it's pretty staggering. It's clear that the second search was much more thorough. Okay, now that we know Nanette was definitely murdered, let's get into who could have done this to her. Of course, we have to look into Nanette's husband of 22 years, Steve. According to Steve, they had a great marriage. According to Nanette's family, she was debating leaving him. In fact, the Friday just before the fire, Nanette planned on taking Steve on a long walk to talk about all of her issues with the marriage. There are a few reasons that Nanette's family believes that she was debating leaving Steve. First, Steve was cheating on Nanette. He had a long-term affair with a woman from the fire department, and according to other reports, a second woman as well. Steve admits this. He says that Nanette was very aware of this affair and that they'd worked through it. But again, her family disputes this, and some believe that Steve was still having an affair up until Nanette's death. However, Steve has a pretty solid alibi. Ironically, Steve actually installed the same security system he had at his house at the fire station. Video footage along with several of his coworkers would confirm that Steve was at work that morning. His phone and coworkers also verified that he was at Outback Steakhouse for lunch before returning to the fire station and finally getting the call about the fire. Not long into the investigation, the Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office actually made a special press conference just to state that Steve Crintel was cleared. So let's talk about the second reason that Nanette's family said that she was debating leaving Steve. Apparently, Nanette was pretty fed up because she felt Steve failed to protect her from years of harassment from Steve's brother, Brian. Brian Crentel has a very long and sordid history with the law. He's been arrested at least 36 times, with 15 of those arrests resulting in convictions. These charges range from multiple DWIs, to battery, battery on an officer, hit and run, disobeying an officer, negligent injury with a vehicle careless operation of a vehicle, drug-related charges, and more. Brian blames Nanette and Steve for one of these charges that resulted in him serving some time in jail. Upon his release from this sentence, he apparently told Steve and Nanette that he would kill them both and then kill himself. But this is not the only threat that Brian made. Nanette's father, Dan, came forward with a series of emails from Nanette expressing her concern about Brian, starting way back in 2011. In one email she wrote to him, she stated, quote, When he says, I will start your house on fire and kill you when you come out, that's a serious threat to me. Another email stated, quote, Brian is capable of anything, and someone that has nothing to lose is full of hate, uses drugs, makes threats, is a loose cannon. Two months before Nanette's death, Nanette texts her sister Kim, stating, quote, He threatened to set the house on fire, rape me, and kill us. 
And last quote, you guys, just a few weeks prior to her death, Nanette again texts Kim, stating, quote, I've been praying a lot, and it's definitely coming to a head. It seems like Nanette really tried her best to protect herself. Brian is a huge reason why they installed the cameras, and why Nanette carried a gun in her purse and in her car. She also got some type of order against Brian. Brian was still on probation from one of his charges, and he was actually wearing a court-ordered ankle monitor at the time. This would alert police if he had been drinking or if he came within 1,000 feet of Steve and Nanette's home. However, upon further investigation, it appears that the GPS in his ankle monitor had been disabled. So there's really no telling if Brian was actually complying with this order to stay away. Like Steve, Brian does have an alibi. And funny enough, just like Steve, that comes from a third system of cameras that Steve installed. This time at his parents' house, where Brian was staying about 15 miles away. Steve says that he installed these cameras specifically to protect his parents from Brian. Camera footage shows that Brian was at his parents' house during the fire. However, Nanette's family and the Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office agreed that they would both like to see the FBI review the footage to ensure that it hadn't been tampered with. But as far as I could find, that review was never completed. In an interview with Crime Watch Daily, they asked Brian how he felt about being looked into, and he said, quote, Actually, it didn't really bother me, because I didn't have nothing to worry about. I loved her. She was like a sister I didn't have. Let's put it that way. End quote. But Steve would publicly refute this, telling People Magazine Investigates, quote, Brian was definitely somebody I was worried about, because Brian had a strong contempt for Nanette. End quote. Another incident we need to discuss happened at the end of June 2017. Nanette was out getting the mail when she saw a random man walking towards her that looked creepy. As a reminder, Steve and Nanette's property was at the end of a dead-end road, so there wouldn't be much reason for a random person to be out there walking towards her. She later found a knife and cigarette butts on her property. She was able to obtain a grainy image of this man from their security system, but he has yet to be identified. Some point to Nanette's stepson, and others point to Steve's mistress, but I wasn't able to find much on either of them. Another popular theory is a hired hitman, but again, there's been no public information to point to that conclusion. At this point, they're all just theories. Despite knowing all of this, knowing about the autopsy results that Nanette was murdered, knowing that Brian Crentel literally said that he wanted to rape and kill Nanette and then burn her house to the ground. On September 13th, 2017, the sheriff's office put out a media advisory stating that their office, quote, doesn't necessarily support the coroner's conclusion, end quote. We know this. We know that they think it's a suicide, and we know that they even sent five high-ranking officers to speak to the coroner about their belief that it was a suicide. But on the very next day, 24 hours later, on September 14th, Sheriff Smith put out a statement, quote, We have worked this case and will continue to work this case tirelessly and aggressively as a homicide, and we have since day one, end quote. As the investigation into Nanette's death continued, Steve Crintel would eventually return to work in November of 2017. However, on his first day back, he was met with a very serious complaint filed by firefighter Thomas Williamson. 
The complaint discussed the affair with his co-worker at the station that Steve did admit to, but there were also complaints that Steve committed unethical acts and intimidated his employees. These complaints included Steve living at the fire station and having amenities bought for his stay there. He was also accused of stealing air conditioners from out-of-commission ambulances and removing identifying stickers from his work vehicle. In Williamson's letter to the board, he also wrote, quote, Chief Crantell has also made it clear that he is taking names of who and what has been said about him in an effort to retaliate when he returns to work, end quote. Steve fought these allegations, saying that he turned an $800,000 deficit into money in the bank for the department, and that he would be bringing the board a list of his enemies inside of the administration. After a full investigation, the Civil Service Board for the St. Tammany Fire Protection District 12 found that the complaints were valid. They adopted a no-retaliation order, ordered Steve to pay restitution for the AC units that were stolen, he was demoted, and given a 60-day suspension. At that time, Steve submitted his letter of resignation slash retirement. After this complaint, Thomas Williamson believed that Steve was threatening him by leaving a bullet on his property. By December, Nanette's family was growing even more desperate for answers. On December 5th, 2017, her father posted the following statement to the Justice for Nanette Facebook page, along with a poster explaining a new $5,000 reward for information. Quote, My name is Dan Watson. I am Nanette's father, and I'm here to speak on behalf of Nanette. My beloved daughter was brutally murdered on July 14th, 2017. It's been five months, and I have no idea as to who committed the horrific act of violence against Nanette. I am told that there are no suspects and that there are no leads. I am very troubled and conflicted with the lack of progress in solving Nanette's murder. But there is something else about this that should trouble us all. There is a cold-blooded killer in our midst, and that should be of great concern to every citizen of St. Tammany Parish. This monster has complete and total disregard for life. He shot Nanette in the back of the head. He burned her house to the ground with her body inside of it until it was unrecognizable. He murdered her dog Harley and her cats Baby Kitty and Smokey. This person is sick and has no place in St. Tammany Parish or civilized society, and he is still out there. He must be caught and brought to justice for what he did. I'm also here to state in no uncertain terms that I will never stop pursuing Nanette's killer until every lead has been investigated and every possibility exhausted. Also know that I have made no assumptions about nor drawn any conclusions regarding anyone's guilt or innocence. I will listen to any information out there from anyone that is available. If you know anything or have any information about anyone who may have been involved in this murder, I ask that you call Crime Stoppers. If you are not comfortable calling Crime Stoppers, then you can message me through this page. I am a 74-year-old man, and I am about to spend my first Christmas without my baby girl. For me, there will be no phone call, no Christmas card, no Merry Christmas I love you, Daddy. Nothing. It saddens me deeply. If you know something, I implore you to come forward and help me. Thank you. End quote. After the fire, Steve constructed a memorial for Nanette on their property. 
In April of 2018, Nanette's sister Wendy went to visit this memorial. Steve responded by charging her with trespassing. In August of 2018, Sheriff Randy Smith and Detective Daniel Buckner called the family to give them an update on the investigation. They said that they were able to recover two deadbolts from the scene, leading them to believe that the house was locked while the fire burned. But they weren't able to confirm that they found all of the deadbolts, so it's not an absolute certainty. They also wanted to discuss the footage of Nanette from the McDonald's and to show it to the family. This footage comes from a nearby Walgreens, so it's pretty grainy. Nanette's family does believe her Mercedes is in the footage, but some are skeptical as to whether or not it was Nanette inside of the vehicle. From the descriptions of the video that I found online, there is something moving inside of the car. For those that believe that this was Nanette, they state that this was probably her dog, Harley. But other family members say it's just too grainy to see if it really was Nanette or not. Sheriff Smith would go on to tell the family, quote, We want to release it to the media, but there's some things that came up this morning, and now, watching the videos, just some cars that were in the drive up behind her, we want to try to see their transactions, end quote. Nanette's family was not pleased. They didn't understand why this was coming up now, a year after her murder. The video has still not been released, and many family members still don't believe that it was Nanette in the car, but someone posing as Nanette, using her credit card and her cell phone to make it look like she was still alive, when she was possibly killed hours or even the day before, and then later placed at the scene. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by Quince. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time to put away all the sweaters and pants and say hello to shorts and t-shirts. I absolutely was looking to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and I went right back to Quince for that. I personally don't love trendy clothes that I have to replace every few months. I am looking to build my solid core collection of essentials, and with the huge selection at Quince, I can do that. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from 30 bucks, washable silk tops, they have jewelry, and so much more. One thing I really love about Quince too is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And they only use premium fabrics and finishes, so you're not cutting any corners when it comes to quality. I've really been trying to play with pairing casual with more upscale pieces. So recently I just matched a silk skirt with this black tee that I just love and fits really, really well. I think it came together pretty cute. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot justice to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com justice. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Around the fall of 2019, things start to go a little crazy in the politics surrounding Nanette's case. 
Jerry Rogers, an investigator with the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development, apparently began communicating with the family through an anonymous email address. And he had negative things to say about the sheriff's department. In these emails, Jerry Rogers says that anyone would be better than Detective Daniel Buckner, who was leading Nanette's case at the time. He also called him clueless and a stone-cold rookie. In another email, he said that Sheriff Smith was a joke. Jerry Rogers says that he was just trying to help the family, and he wanted to remain anonymous to prevent retaliation, which he certainly later did experience. The sheriff's office responded by arresting him for criminal defamation on September 16, 2019. Jerry Rogers says that three officers showed up at his door, put him in handcuffs, threw him in the back of a patrol car, and refused to tell him why he was being arrested, only saying that he had a warrant for his arrest. This is Jerry Rogers' side. Sheriff Smith states that these actions were, quote, the malicious and criminal actions of an individual whose intent was motivated by his efforts to defame, create distrust, and otherwise prey on the emotions of the victim's family, end quote. I can't speak for the family, but I can say that when a new detective was assigned to my sister's case that I didn't feel really cared at all, I expressed this sentiment to another detective that I trusted, and that detective told me that my suspicions about this person not being great were correct. I didn't feel like this detective was preying on my emotions. I felt like they were being a genuine human being and validating my very real concerns. I felt a huge sense of relief that someone was finally just being real with me. Again, I can't speak for Nanette's family, but they have expressed dissatisfaction with Jerry Rogers' arrest, so I think it's safe to assume that they probably appreciated his candor. They also expressed dissatisfaction that an investigator on Nanette's case was later fired for speaking to Jerry Rogers. I don't know every single thing about Jerry Rogers' arrest or this other agent being fired, but, I mean, it seems like people speaking up about this investigation are getting into trouble left and right. The general consensus for Jerry Rogers' arrest was that it was unconstitutional. Under the Louisiana law, criminal defamation is a misdemeanor, but the state Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional in most cases in 1973, and the U.S. Supreme Court in 1964 found the law's wording to be unconstitutional. Katie Schwartzman, legal director at the ACLU of Louisiana, said that the law used to arrest Jerry Rogers is rarely used, and quote, unfortunately, it seems to be used as a tool to squelch political opposition, end quote. And I have to agree that Sheriff Smith seems extremely politically motivated. On October 28, 2019, Sheriff Smith released a lengthy statement regarding Nanette's case and the arrest of Jerry Rogers. I think it's important to note here that this was election season. And just a few weeks before this statement, it was confirmed that Smith would be running against a man named Tim Lentz. Tim Lentz secured 32% of the vote, while Smith pulled ahead by just 14%. In my opinion, this statement wasn't as much about Nanette's case as it was about trying to get votes. And again, in my opinion, defending himself against a pretty unconstitutional arrest warrant he championed for that was executed just nine days prior. I'm going to read you this statement, but I'm going to be stopping in between to express my opinions and also give some clarifying information. The statement reads as follows. 
I am disappointed that my political opponent has enlisted the aid of both of your media organizations to try to use the tragic death of Nanette Crandell for his political gain as we get close to election day. I'm going to stop right here. Like, let's be honest. It feels like he's doing the exact same thing. He goes on to say, The spread of misinformation and half-truths by my opponent with the apparent aid of certain members of the media is disgraceful which is why I decided to issue this statement to set the record straight. First, and most importantly, since Mrs. Crindell's death two years ago, my office has worked tirelessly to try to solve her murder and give her family peace. To date, we have unfortunately been unable to obtain sufficient evidence to obtain a warrant for anyone's arrest. That is not, however, because of lack of effort. To date, my office has executed in excess of 65 search warrants in connection with this case. We have reviewed in excess of 45 hours of surveillance footage. We have conducted in excess of 80 interviews. And we have asked for assistance from, and have worked with, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, United States Postal Inspection Service, the St. Tammany Parish District Attorney's Office, the Louisiana Office of State Fire Marshal, the St. Tammany Parish Coroner's Office, and the Louisiana State Police Special Investigation Unit slash Technical Support Unit, all in an effort to solve this case. I have also retained the services of a retired U.S. Marshal of the Eastern District of Louisiana, specifically to give my investigation a fresh perspective, all in an effort to resolve this case. I completely understand the Watson family's frustration. I share it. But the St. Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office is made up of professional, highly trained individuals. And we cannot arrest an individual simply because certain members of Mrs. Crandell's family want us to do so. There has to be evidence that indicates probable cause exists before an arrest warrant is issued. You have my word. My office will continue to work this case until it is resolved. I have to stop right here. Saying that you can't arrest someone just because the family wants you to feels like an unnecessary slight towards the family, and a way to make it seem like they are just sad and desperate for answers, as opposed to maybe having credible information. I'd also like to remind you that Annette's sister Kim is a criminal prosecutor and probably has a good idea for what the threshold of evidence is to get an arrest warrant. I don't know what the family is asking for or what evidence they have. I just felt like this was a way to put the family down and lift himself up, which just doesn't sit right with me. But he goes on to say, regarding the recent arrest by my office of Jerry Rogers, since certain members of your organizations, for reasons unknown, chose to only tell part of the story, let me again set the record straight regarding this individual. We were contacted by one of the members of the Watson family months ago and asked to look into anonymous emails that were being sent to the family. As these emails concerned an open homicide investigation, my office was obliged to investigate, as we have done with each and every lead in this case. Through the course of this investigation, it was discovered that the person sending these anonymous emails was Jerry Rogers, currently an investigator with the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development and some of these emails were sent from his U.S. government IP address. Prior to working for HUD, Mr. Rogers had been a longtime employee of former Sheriff Jack Strain. 
So what's important to keep in mind right here is that Sheriff Smith ran against Sheriff Strain in the 2016 election and won. My investigators at first tried to meet with Mr. Rogers at his place of employment, the Hale Boggs building on Poydras Street in New Orleans. When my investigators at first tried to speak with Mr. Rogers, he refused to open the door to speak with them. A few days later, we learned that Mr. Rogers, while at a training event in West Monroe, Louisiana, refused to come out of his hotel room and was threatening to commit suicide. Finally, after several hours at the scene, a negotiator with the West Monroe Police Department was finally able to get him to exit his hotel, but not before Mr. Rogers tried to commit suicide by cop by pulling his cell phone out of his pocket and pointing it directly at the officers at the scene in a very quick motion. Fortunately, all involved, due to their discipline and training, the West Monroe Police Department did not open fire on Mr. Rogers, and instead he received the psychiatric help he obviously needed following this incident. This information was shared with your media organizations. However, for reasons only you can explain, you chose not to share it with the public. I also find it curious that your organizations did not fully share with the public the extent of Mr. Rogers' political activities. Specifically, it was learned through the investigation that while he was sending these anonymous emails to the Watson family, Mr. Rogers was also exchanging emails with my opponent in the upcoming election. Again, I stop here to ask, is this statement really about Nanette's case, or is this a statement to slam the media and defend against criticism for the upcoming election? Regarding the constitutionality of the LSA 1447, the statute that Mr. Rogers was charged with violating, I am aware that some courts have ruled that statute may be unconstitutional insofar as it relates to any public expressions about public officials. Mr. Rogers' activity, however, does not fit within that description. On the contrary, this is an individual who used fake email accounts in an effort to hide his identity and make misstatements of fact concerning detectives working on an open homicide investigation. This was a deliberate effort to mislead the victim's family and to discredit the detectives. This harmed our ability to solve this crime. Okay, I again need to stop here. As a family member of a victim who has worked with countless detectives over a decade, some I liked, some I outright didn't respect or believe cared at all about the case, I think this is a super unfair statement. Unless Nanette's family completely refused to cooperate with police after receiving these anonymous emails, I just don't see how this statement could be true. Nanette's father did make a statement that if he has relevant information, he didn't want to give it to Randy Smith but that doesn't mean that he wouldn't give it to another officer. The truth is, some investigators just care more than others, and any member of law enforcement that tells you otherwise is lying. So I don't blame Nanette's family for specifically not wanting to speak with Smith, especially given their sordid history. They were upfront about this since 2018 that they didn't trust the department after their pretty strong efforts to deem this a suicide instead of a homicide. In my opinion, Smith's own actions and the actions of his department led to Nanette's family not trusting them. I imagine these emails probably just further solidified what they already believed. But again, this is just my opinion based on my personal experience. Smith goes on to say, Based on these facts, my office felt that there was probable cause to seek a warrant for Mr. Rogers' arrest. The district attorney's office had appropriately recused themselves from the matter, as Mr. Rogers' wife works for the district attorney. 
This matter will now be handled by the Louisiana Attorney General's Office, and since it is also the exclusive province of the Louisiana Attorney General to defend the constitutionality of Louisiana laws, I will deter any further comment on this issue to the Attorney General's Office. To be clear, this arrest had nothing to do with me. It relates directly to stopping efforts that impair our ability to investigate and solve this crime. Turning now to Miss Wendy Watson's claims that, quote, her trespassing arrest was made to shut her up, end quote, let me state unequivocally, I have no interest in trying to keep anyone from expressing their opinions, including Miss Watson. I would also point out that Miss Watson has not, in fact, been arrested. There is, however, an active warrant for Miss Watson's arrest, and thus she is currently a fugitive. This warrant was not initiated by me but was in fact sworn out by the complainant who owns the property upon which Miss Watson was trespassing. I would encourage Miss Watson to turn herself into the sheriff's office in order to let the court perform its duty to adjudicate her guilt regarding this alleged crime. Again, I stop here and ask, is this about Nanette's case or is he defending himself for an upcoming election? All of this information was shared with your media organizations. Why you only chose to tell half the story is a question only you can answer. My job as sheriff is to give all of the facts and let the citizens make informed decisions about how my office operates. That is how I have always conducted myself, and that is how the St. Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office will operate as long as I am sheriff. Finally, in closing, as I have said for the past two years, we will continue to run down every lead, no matter where it takes us and we will never stop working to try to solve this case and bring closure to Mrs. Crindell's family. This is my promise to the victim's family and to all of the citizens of St. Tammany Parish. Sincerely, Randy Smith. This statement floored me. I feel that it was extremely self-serving and put unnecessary stress and blame on Nanette's family. Something I found interesting about this entire political race was that Smith's opponent, Tim Lenz, said that he would provide Nanette's family with answers about the case within 30 days of being elected. I have to wonder if Lenz knows something we don't, or if he was just using Nanette's case for political gain. I also want to note here that in July of 2020, the charges against Jerry Rogers were completely dropped. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. As the election got closer, Nanette's case again affected the political climate. In October of 2020, the DA slapped the St. Tammany Parish Sheriff's Office with a subpoena for all of Nanette's records, stating, quote, 
such documents are necessary to an official criminal investigation being conducted because of the material differences in findings of the coroner and sheriff's office, end quote. Despite Sheriff Smith publicly stating that his office didn't agree with the coroner's findings, despite his team telling Steve Crentel that they were leaning towards suicide, and despite five high-ranking officers going to the coroner's office to discuss how they thought it was a suicide, Sheriff Randy Smith put out a statement saying that he was unaware of any differences in findings. He then publicly began backing the DA's political opponent, Vincent Wynn saying unlike Warren Montgomery, Wynn backed the sheriff's office. Ultimately, Sheriff Smith was re-elected, as was the DA, Warren Montgomery. As much as all of this just doesn't sit right with me that Nanette's case was used for political gain like this, I have to hold out hope that this relatively recent subpoena of the records by the DA will further the investigation, because this is pretty much where Nanette's case sits today. We are left with so many questions in this case. Who was the mystery man that Nanette saw before her murder? Was that video footage proving Brian Crentel's alibi ever authenticated? Why on earth did the sheriff's office try to say that this was a suicide? Why haven't they released the video of Nanette at McDonald's? Was that really Nanette? What about the mistress? If Nanette was killed outside of her home and brought there, who did it and where is this other crime scene? Where is the gun that was used to kill Nanette? How did the person who killed Nanette know that the DVR was there? Did they know that before or did they see it when they came in? I wish we knew. July 14th, 2021, so the day before this episode was posted, marks four years since Nanette was killed. Her family is still anxiously awaiting answers and justice. On the four-year anniversary, her family posted on the Justice for Nanette Facebook page, quote, Four years and zero answers. It feels like we've let you down, my beautiful sister. End quote. I remember that feeling. Every birthday, every anniversary, no matter how hard I worked for Alyssa, it never felt like enough. Which brings me right to our call to action. Please take a moment to share Nanette's picture and her story in hopes of helping this family. And of course, if you have any information about the murder of Nanette Crentel, please call Crime Stoppers at 1-877-903-STOP. You can remain anonymous. As always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit VoicesForJusticePodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice. Hey guys, for old time's sake, I wanted to do a surprise secret after show moment. 
If you don't know what this is, I used to do it on some of the season one episodes. It's just kind of a space to be a little less formal and chat with you guys. I like putting it at the end of the show so it doesn't take focus away from the victims, and for people who don't like chatter, they can kind of opt out of it. The reason I'm bringing this back today is because I wanted to take a moment and acknowledge two pretty big things in the show. You might have noticed that Voices for Justice has a brand new logo. I am super excited about this. It took me longer than I'd like to admit to find something that I loved. This podcast will always be my labor of love. I actually shared a video about what inspired me to make this new logo and posted it on social media a few days ago. But if you missed it, I absolutely did make the first logo by myself. And despite getting so much flack for it, I still love it very, very much. It's just a stock background with text, but to me, it symbolizes that if I can do this, anyone can. So when I was thinking about what I wanted for the new logo, I really wanted to retain some of that simplicity and that brick background. I also really wanted to bring it back to the original message of helping Alyssa, so I went way back to the first website I made when I was a teenager. I mean, I think I was like 13 or something when I made this website. But pretty much my only theme for this website was purple, and this theme did linger into these Justice for Alyssa campaigns, so I really wanted to incorporate it into the logo. I know that that was a really long explanation, but I'm pretty excited. The second thing is that this week actually marks two years since I created Voices for Justice. I like, I'm crying right now, it's fine. I just, I cannot believe it's been two years, and I especially cannot believe how much has changed in these two years. It has been a wild ride, but I really just wanted to thank you guys all again for believing in me and, more importantly, in believing that there really could be justice for Alyssa. Without all of you, this entire journey would have been so much more difficult and lonely. When I say I love you at the end of each episode, I really mean it. I love you guys for caring about Alyssa, and I love you for caring about these victims like I do. So many of you go above and beyond to help these cases, and you're just amazing. Also, making this the ultimate throwback, I just wanted to mention that due to my air conditioner being out for over a week at this point, in July in Phoenix, I am actually recording in somebody else's closet today. Crazy enough, I'm also literally sitting on the same black padded folding chair from Walmart that I recorded on in my closet for the first full season. But okay, I am extremely warm in this closet. I'm going to end this secret after show moment. But if you enjoyed this and would like more of this, please let me know on social media. Honestly, either way, I will probably still keep doing them because I do enjoy this kind of small talk on here. So thank you for tolerating me. I love you and I'll talk to you next time.